Good morning, church. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Michael Camarina. I'm the director of adult ministries here at the Rock Community Church. Pastor Mark, our senior pastor, is in Texas this weekend. Um, Our senior pastor at our church plant in Heath, Texas, uh, evidently he hadn't been able to see his family for Thanksgiving in several years due to his pastoral duties. So Pastor Mark thought he would bless Pastor Chris and his family by filling in for him in the pulpit this weekend so that Pastor Chris could uh, visit his family. And so Pastor Mark asked me to fill in here for this weekend. So it's a privilege for me to share God's word with you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what God has for us this morning. We are going to be in Psalm 100 today. Next week, Pastor Mark is going to be in the book of Jonah. He's going to start a four-week series in the book of Jonah. So, I encourage all of you, if the Lord puts it on your heart, to read through the book of Jonah in one sitting, if you can. Uh, it should only take 25, 30 minutes, or if you're like me, it would take about 45 minutes. Um, but it's not a long book. It's only four chapters. It's, it's a pretty short book. It's in the Old Testament. One of the, Jonah's one of the minor prophets. And reading ahead of time out of, uh, through that book is just a great way for us to prepare our hearts and our minds for what God's going to have for us in, in that series. So, By this time next week, see if you can read through the book of Jonah, the entire book in one sitting. By the way, also be praying for our church plant in Heath. Um, Things are going really good for them. They're growing. They're, you know, God is really moving in that community. But keep praying for them. You know, there's always challenges when it comes to church and, and, you know, a church plant in Heath, Texas is no different. So just be in prayer for them. Um, But yeah, they're doing great. So praise the Lord for that. I, uh, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you got to spend some time with family or friends, or or if not, I just hope you got to spend some time with the Lord. Um, I know we had a really good Thanksgiving. We were at my cousin Monica's house uh, in Whittier, and traditionally, my family had always gotten together at my parents' house. I mean, for decades, that's what we've done. So when I was growing up, everyone came to my house, and then as an adult, it's always we're going to my parents' house. Um, but this year we went to my cousin's house and it was a great time. It was, I mean, it was just such a blessing to be there. But it really kind of felt like the, the baton was being passed, right, to my generation. Um, and it's about time because, you know, me and my sisters and all my cousins, we're all in our 40s and 50s now. So it's about time the baton is passed. But it was, it was really good. We, um, you know, all week, you know, my wife and my kids, we've, We've really been thanking the Lord all week, and you know, and just in the spirit of Thanksgiving week, we've just been thanking Him for all that He's given us, right? Our family, um, our church, all of you, um, His Word, our salvation, our you know, our home, our jobs, everything. We've just been thanking Him, but we've also been thanking Him for the trials, right? I mean, we all go through trials, and and we're no different. We we're going through some trials right now. Some of you know that my, my mother, who's actually here this morning, um, she's been battling cancer, right? And it's actually a, a parallel path to what Pastor Dave has gone through. Um, Pastor Dave had kidney cancer, and Pastor Dave's here as well. Um, and my mom got diagnosed with kidney cancer within a couple months of Pastor Dave. They both got their kidneys removed within a couple of months each other, of each other. Now my mother's going through immunotherapy, which is what Pastor Dave went through earlier this year. So it's a very parallel path, very similar path that they're going down. And it's been tough. It's been really tough on my mom, of course. It's also been tough on us. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult. But in the midst of that, we're thanking God for that, 
right? I mean, he, gives us, he allows those things to happen for a reason. Some of you might have also heard that we had a minor kitchen fire in my house a couple weeks ago. Some uh, plastic Tupperware was left in the oven accidentally, and when we preheated it, it caught fire, and nothing else caught fire, but there was pretty significant smoke damage. So we've been living in a hotel uh, for the last couple weeks, and we're probably going to be in the hotel for, through the new year. Um, so that's been a challenge. I mean, it's not easy when you've got three kids and you're living in a little two-bedroom hotel, but, uh, but we're fine. I mean, God is good. We're, we're, it could have been a lot worse, and we have so much. I mean, it's really not even a trial. I don't even know why I brought it up, but we're just thanking God for all, everything, the good and the bad, the hard and the, and the, the joyful times. Remember, first, I'm sorry, James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the Lord, in our trials, he, he's perfecting us, right? He's, he's making us complete and lacking in nothing, and it's such a blessing. Right? So, so we're giving thanks to him. Right, We're blessing his name. His faithfulness is so good. His loving kindness is so good. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. That's actually out of Psalm 100. So if you haven't turned there already, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 100. And we're going to read Psalm 100 and then I'm going to pray for us. Psalm 100, starting in verse 1, it says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We, we do thank you for all the blessings you give us. Our families, our church, our, our homes, our jobs, the country we live in that we can just worship you freely. We also thank you for the trials. We know that you're perfecting us, you're producing endurance in us. And we thank you for that as well. Lord, you are so good, and we don't deserve your loving kindness, but you give it to us anyway, so we thank you for that. Right now, open our hearts and our minds to your truth. May we not hear from any single person, but directly from you, Lord. We give this time to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. How important is the giving of thanks in the life of a Christian? How important is it? A couple of weeks ago, you might remember when uh, we were finishing up the book of Colossians, Pastor Mark said that we are to have a posture of thanksgiving when we pray. You might remember Colossians 4.2, there's a slide on your screen, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And you know, it's not just the New Testament that tells us to be thankful. It's the Old Testament also. We're told in the Old Testament to be thankful. Uh, 1 Chronicles 29, when David is praying as they begin construction of the temple, he says, 
Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Psalm 95, verse 2, says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Back in the New Testament, Philippians 4, 6. A lot of you might recognize this verse. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. If you ever wondered what God's will for your life is, it says, In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I hope that Giving thanks to the Lord was at the forefront of your day on Thursday, this past Thanksgiving. I really hope you were thanking him. I know I was. I believe that one of the most fundamental flaws in our fallen humanity, right? Because we're, we're fallen human beings. We're, we fall short of God's glory every day, even though we're forgiven. But I believe that one of the most fundamental flaws in our f- fallen humanity is that we do not give thanks enough to our creator, to the one who created us. We don't give thanks enough to our redeemer. We, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we tend to go through the majority of our Christian lives taking God's blessings for granted. We just do. I know I do sometimes. Now, there's, there's an account in the New Testament of an incident that takes place during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And I think this story really illustrates the lack of gratitude that we are prone to. It's in the book of Luke, and it's chapter 17. Let's turn to Luke 17. Luke 17, I'm going to start in verse um, 11 through, through verse 19. So Luke 17, starting in verse 11. It says, While Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem... He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village, or as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw he had been healed, turned back. Glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. You know, I love reading God's Word. I love it. I love studying the Word of God. It's one of my favorite things to do. I try to do it first thing every morning. One of my favorite books to read is the book of Genesis, right? That's where you see the creation account. Um, You see Adam and Eve in, in the garden, and then, of course, when they sinned in the garden. But you also see the beginnings of human society. You see the flood. And then... It, it kind of reads like a soap opera, doesn't it? I mean, there's lots of drama, you know, crime, passion, murder. 
And then you got the miracles, right? Like the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, who were well beyond their childbearing years. Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. And then ultimately, Joseph ascending to the top governmental position in Egypt. God's sovereign hand directing the events of history. And then we get to Exodus. And and in Exodus, we see God redeem the Israelites out of slavery. And he leads them to the promised land, right? A land flowing with milk and honey, right? The parting of the Red Sea. Historical literature that is compelling and captivating reading. Then we get to the third book of the Bible, Leviticus. And I don't know if any of you have ever read through Leviticus, but to some of us, it could read like a tax code. I mean, it's, it's not, sometimes it just doesn't seem that exciting. It's a, a tedious laundry list of dietary laws and ceremonial laws and precise and detailed instructions about how to set up the tabernacle and, and how the priests are supposed to dress and how to make the utensils for use in the tabernacle. All of the laws and requirements of the priesthood and right, what to do you know, if your ox gores your neighbor's chicken. It doesn't seem like a page turner sometimes. I remember the first time I read through Leviticus, as much as I, reading, I love reading God's word, I, I mean, I have to admit that first time it, it, it was a chore. It seemed like a chore to read through Leviticus. But I want to tell you that the book of Leviticus is one of the great ways that we can know the character of God. And when you understand that, Leviticus actually is compelling and captivating reading. That's another sermon for another time. But in Leviticus 13, for the entire chapter, there's a detailed description of what to do if you have a skin condition. Right? So if you wake up with a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, then there's a certain procedure you go through. And at a certain point, you shall go and see the priest and he'll declare whether you're clean or unclean. If additional tests are needed, you may very well be told by the priest that you have leprosy. Now, for us in our day and age, you know, we may read some of these passages and it might become boring. We might get weary of reading them because we can't relate to the text. About 25 years ago, I mentioned my mom's going through cancer right now, but about 25 years ago, she was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. And at the time, they had only given her about a 25% chance of survival. So they put her on some experimental uh, chemotherapy that ultimately ended up saving her life. Um, But, you know, we didn't know, and it was a very scary time. But my mom and my dad became experts in that type of cancer. They got their hands on any kind of literature they could, just to know what, you know, everything they could about the cancer, how to treat it. They started looking at different you know, alternative medicines like herbs and different teas that, they could, that she could take to help the healing process. They became experts at stage four breast cancer. Probably one of the most terrifying words in the English language is the word cancer. Well, if that resonates for you, the idea of waiting for a diagnosis and agonizing as the doctor explains your test results and 
studying on your own every facet of the disease and every symptom and every treatment, if you can relate to that at all, then perhaps you can relate to some extent to what a Jew would experience when he woke up with a rash and how he diligently studied Leviticus and scoured the scriptures to figure out what to do and how he visited the priest. He read every word of Leviticus. He followed every instruction. And it, and it told him to go visit the priest to get the diagnosis. And he'd be desperately wondering about the possibility, not that he would have cancer, but that he would have leprosy. One of the most terrifying words in the Hebrew language for a Jewish person at this time was the word leprosy. Leprosy was painful, usually fatal. It was horrifically disfiguring. But one of the cruelest realities of the disease is that it required a complete and total quarantine. The person who contracted leprosy was forced to leave his family, to leave his community, to leave his livelihood and be outcast to either spend the rest of his days completely alone or in a leper colony away from the village. Lepers were required to keep themselves a specified distance from healthy people. Complete isolation, complete seclusion, complete separation from everything that they know and love. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine the loneliness, right? The longing for your family, the desperation. Luke 17 tells us that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and as he was passing through Samaria and Galilee, he entered a village, and a group of ten lepers stood at a distance, quarantined, isolated, separated from their world. When they saw Jesus coming, verse 13 says that they raised their voices. They began to shout, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Right? They were crying out. They were shouting with the, the tiniest ounce of hope that somehow Jesus would hear them. By now, most people had, in the region had heard of Jesus' healing ministry. Right? The news just spread like wildfire. And somehow these lepers, in the confines of their quarantine, they heard the stories through the grapevine. There's a man of God out there, and he does miracles. He heals people. Paralytics can walk. He, he spits on some mud, and he builds a new pair of eyes for the blind. He raises people from the dead. They would have heard of the leper who was healed by Jesus back in Luke chapter 5. There was just one question that they had. Will Jesus ever come here? And when they saw him coming, the last thing in the world they wanted was for Jesus to pass them by. You know, one of the things about leprosy is that it affects the larynx. The voice becomes raspy. It becomes painful to speak loudly. A lot of times they can't even raise their voice. 
But they didn't care about that. They didn't care about the pain of yelling and screaming at Jesus. They didn't care about being tactful. They didn't care about being courteous. They just started screaming and waving their arms in desperation. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Let's look at verse 14. It says, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, this is a typical understatement of sacred scripture, right? It's, it's not uncommon for us to just gloss over verses like this because there's no, there's no pomp. There's no climactic language here. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. It's almost as if he's saying, just go. Leave me alone. I, I got a lot of important things to do. I don't have time for this. Go and show yourselves to the priest, and he'll proclaim whether you're clean or not. That's not what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was saying so gently and so subtly, you want mercy? Go. Show yourselves to the priests. It's time for a new diagnosis. Follow the law. Go show yourselves to the priests. Be pronounced clean. Back in verse 14, it says, As they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. He was a Samaritan. Now, one of the ways that people often understand this passage is that the lesson here is that only one of the men was thankful. That the lesson here is that we need to be thankful. Only one of the men was thankful for being healed. Well, it's true that we, we need to be thankful. Our passage today in Psalm 100 says, Give thanks to him, bless his name. But notice that, notice that Luke 17 does not say that the other nine were not thankful. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in the passage does it say that the nine were not thankful. In fact, when you think about it, it doesn't even seem possible that the other nine were not thankful. It doesn't seem possible that these nine men who had just been delivered from leprosy, they'd just been delivered from a life of quarantine a painful, monstrous existence, the torture of leprosy. It doesn't seem possible that after being healed from that, that they would not be thankful. Anyone who has been delivered from leprosy or cancer or some debilitating disease and instantly healed would be thankful. The problem here is not that the the nine were not thankful. Obviously, they were all thankful. The problem is that only one came back to show his gratitude. Only one actually gave thanks. Verse 15 says, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. Now, the crucial fact here is that he turned back. He returned. All the other guys bolted for home, but this guy came back. Now, let's think about that. Let's think about those guys that just 
took off. They've been separated from everything they know and love for however long. Now all of a sudden, they're healed. They have to go to the priest first, according to the law, and then they're pronounced clean, something they've only dreamed about for however many years. And then they get to walk back home. And they get to walk in the front door. And they get to say, honey, I'm home. They get to hug and kiss their wife. And hug and kiss their children, something they've only dreamed about. in What would it seem like ages? I mean, be honest. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't, wouldn't you just be so anxious to get home to your family? Wouldn't you just be so eager to run straight home to show your wife and your kids and to show your friends that you were healed? I can't blame them. I mean, that's only natural. But one of the ten said, wait. I can't wait to get home just like all those guys. But I must stop and say, Thank you. So, before he goes to the priest to get his pronouncement of being clean, he went looking for Jesus to give thanks, to show his gratitude. Jesus answered him and said, Were there not ten that I cleansed? Where are the nine? Only one came back? That one is a a foreigner, a Samaritan. You see, the fact that Jesus sent the lepers to show themselves to the priest is an indication that they were probably all Jewish, except for the Samaritan. They were probably all Jewish. And so he says, Jesus says, this pagan Samaritan comes and gives thanks, and yet the children of Israel, my chosen people, who know my law, and who know Psalm 100, they don't come back to show their gratitude? Do you show your gratitude? Do I show my gratitude? Right? Do we show our gratitude to the one who gave us life? Who gave us our family Do we show our gratitude for every single one of our material possessions? And if you've repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you show him your gratitude for the gift of your salvation? I mean, how many times do we neglect to show our Lord how grateful we are for all that he has given us? How often are we grateful in our hearts without expressing it, without showing it. Do you see the difference between being thankful and giving thanks? When I was a senior in high school, I worked most of that school year in order to afford to buy a car before I went off to college. I wanted to have a car so I could get around, go to the market or whatever, go to my job if I had one, just wanted to have a car so that I wouldn't have to depend on anyone else. Well, when I got to the dorms my freshman year, I realized that I was like one of the only ones, one of the only freshmen that had a car. 
So who do you think was the one driving people around to go get groceries or to go wherever, to go to the movies or to go out on a Friday night? I was the one driving. And that was fine. I didn't mind. It was totally fine. But one day, halfway through the school year, a bunch of us get out of my car and one of the guys says, hey, Mike, thanks for driving. And I went, whoa, you're welcome. I didn't even need a thank you, but it was great to get one. And I realized at that moment the necessity of giving thanks. And we do the same thing with God, don't we? We do. We, we sometimes take for granted that, oh, you know, God knows I'm thankful. God knows my heart. Right? We sometimes plead with God in prayer. We plead with him. And when he grants our petition, do we show our gratitude? Do we give thanks to him for answering our prayer? Beyond that, does our thanksgiving cost us anything? Does it cost us anything other than just a flippant prayer where you might mention a thank you to God that might take you five seconds? Does the giving of thanks cost us anything? How often do we show him? We should, be, we should be thanking him all the time. All the time. When, when, we, when you woke up this morning, you should have thanked him that you woke up this morning. When you got to church this morning, you should thank him that you got to church in one piece. I, I try to do that. You know, I pray with my kids every morning before, before taking them to school or maybe sometimes on the way to school. And the majority of our prayer is a thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for our teachers, our friends. When they're going through difficult times, thank you for the difficult times. We should be thanking God all the time for everything. For everything. This guy, this, this leper in Luke 17, showed his gratitude. And what was Jesus' response? Verse 19 says, And Jesus said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now what does that mean? Your faith has made you well. What does Jesus mean by that? He was already healed. The Samaritan was already healed of leprosy. He was already cleansed, right? So what does it mean? The the nine had been healed. The nine had been made well. So what's the difference? Or is there a difference? Your faith has made you well. The other nine had faith. They had faith that Jesus would heal him, heal them, just like the Samaritan had faith in that. But Jesus singles out the Samaritan. He singles him out. The original Greek word that is used here is the same word. It's the word sozo. It's the same word that's used in Luke 7.50. You don't have to turn there, but it's the passage where Jesus says to the woman, remember the woman who wept in repentance of her sin, And she actually washed Jesus' feet with her tears and with perfume. Jesus says to her that she's forgiven. And then he says this. He says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. It's the same word used in Luke 17. Your faith has 
made you well. So, based on the context of this verse, Jesus must be alluding to the full saving faith of the Samaritan. Since the physical healing had already occurred, and and the healing was something that he shared with the other nine, Jesus must be talking here about salvation. Now, we don't know if the other nine were saved. We're not told that. We don't know their hearts. Only God knows their hearts. They could have been saved, but then again, maybe they, maybe they weren't. We don't know. But the Samaritan was saved. The Samaritan was forgiven of his sins. And the manifestation of that saving faith is that he stopped to show his gratitude. The manifestation of his saving faith is that he stopped to show his gratitude. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that, um, that, that uh, giving of thanks is what saves us. It's not the giving of thanks that saves us. Because remember, it's by faith that we are saved, not by works, so that no one may boast. That's Ephesians 2.9. But the person who has repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will naturally give thanks. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. right? Once you understand the holiness of God, and once you understand your own sinfulness, and once you understand that God came down, lived a perfect life, and voluntarily was scourged and beaten and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, so that you could be forgiven and I could be forgiven, And once you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your natural reaction should be to thank him. One commentary says this. should be on your screen. It says, Faith responds to God's goodness and publicly acknowledges God. Faith responds to God's goodness and publicly acknowledges God. You know, one of the ways we thank him is by the way we serve him and by the, and by the way we serve others. That's why you see so many people here at the Rock Community Church serving. It's just a, an outward expression of their love for God and their, their thankfulness for God. It's a sacrifice. At the very least, it's a sacrifice of time, but often it's much more than just a sacrifice of time. How much are we willing to sacrifice to show our gratitude to the one who saved us, to the one who died on the cross to take the penalty for our sin? When was the last time we showed him our gratitude and demonstrated it, like Pastor Mark said a couple weeks ago, demonstrated it with a posture of humility, and indebtedness. How much does it cost us? You know, our worship time at the beginning and end of each service is a time for us to prepare our hearts to receive God's message. It's a time for us to praise our Lord for all that He's done. And it's a time to thank Him. To thank Him for our salvation and to thank Him for all the blessings He's given us. 
Do you thank him? Have you thanked him? If not, go to him. Glorify him. Give thanks to him. Let's reread our passage today, Psalm 100. Psalm 100 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? It's so full of truth. You know, last night and again this morning, several people have come up to me and and told me stories about how they memorized it in school or at at home with their parents. Evidently, it's a pretty popular psalm. And it's no wonder. I mean, it's just that short little five-verse psalm is just so full of truth. The Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Enter his, his gates with thanksgiving. You know, we're going to sing another worship song. The, the worship team can make their way up. We're going to sing another song, and, and this is going to give us an opportunity to give thanks to him. To thank him for all he's done. To thank him for his salvation. To thank him for all the blessings. But don't let it stop when you leave here today. Make it a habit. Make it a way of life to show your gratitude to the one who created you, to the one who loves you. And if you have faith in him and his work on the cross, to the one who saved you. Our prayer team after the service is going to be here to my left. If you need prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. And if you haven't repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ, Come see them, pray with them, or come see me. I would love to pray with you. We'd love to just walk you through that. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Let's pray.